You know, I just, uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea of So Water Reap, which is going to be our theme for the year, on 2020, right, we get to have a, a goal and a dream that we're pursuing together. Really, it captures so much of everything that we're about. I mean, the very, the very purpose that our church sort of possesses and has as its heartbeat, the very reason why we even attempted to step out in faith here at, at the Reardon campus as well, doing something adventurous and risky and bigger than ourselves. And I also want to just, I know I I'm, I'm also want to welcome all of you who are joining us on the live stream right now. If you, wherever you may be, you know we've got a whole group of you that are in different places. Our love for you is real. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this, even though you're away from us. Uh, but we're all here together. And I want to look at just a quick, I only have a few minutes to share, and I want to look at a passage that's in your, your little pamphlet there, the handout. Really, just love what, what Rick did here and the team. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of passages there. I want you to look at the first one because the, the, the theme of So Water Reap is birthed out of John 4 for us. And this is a part of it that I want you to see. These are the words of Jesus. He actually said them to his disciples. He says, do not say, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who, is, who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Yes, I sent you to reap that which, for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This, this John 4 passage, which has everything to do with sow, water, reap, it really is something that has captured the heart of Jesus. I mean, we sometimes forget the, the context maybe of what is actually being said here, but what inspired it was this, and this is a wonderful fourth chapter of the book of John, where Jesus, almost the entire chapter is, it's just the engagement of Jesus with this wonderful woman who we're given so much kind of access to. We call her the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And if you recall how that chapter opens up, Jesus is tired and the disciples stop by a well in Samaria. And he's weary and he's hungry. And the disciples say, hey, we're going to go into town and we'll come back with some food. And as Jesus is there, one of the rare times where I think he was alone in kind of a public environment, even though there was nobody there, people could come to a well. A woman shows up, a Samaritan woman, and he gets into this amazing conversation with her. He starts talking to her about her life. He starts talking about her relationships. He starts talking about how the love of who God is and if he really knew how God could satisfy the deepest hunger in her heart, a hunger that she was trying to satisfy with other things, especially in her case, relationships, and it wasn't working. And Jesus says, if you knew the kind of water that I could give you, you'd ask me. By the time they were done, her heart was moved. It got opened up. Like all of a sudden, this veneer of hardness was broken through, and the light of Christ began to touch it. And something happened, and she got so excited, she ran back into town and started talking about this one this one who she thinks might be the Messiah. When the disciples came back, though, he was finishing up that conversation. And that's when they said, they said they were kind of astonished at this interaction that was going, going on. When she leaves, they then turn to Jesus and they say, we brought the food. And you know what Jesus said? They, said? they said, we have bread. And Jesus said, you know what? My food 
he is almost like he forgot his hunger and he forgot how tired he was in his humanity. And all of a sudden he just explodes and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He goes, I have my bread. I have a, I have a hunger, that's, he, hunger that's even greater than a natural hunger. It's all of a sudden, it was like after that interaction with, this, with the woman and the engagement that he had and, the, and, the, and the, the opening of her heart, it captured everything that he had come to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. And he couldn't help himself. He says, my hunger is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he turned to them. And that's when he said these words, do not say four months and then comes the harvest. No, I tell you, lift up your eyes, look around you, all around you. It's white in the harvest. There are people ready right now for what I have to bring. It was a powerful moment. And then he goes on to talk about it, right? He says, and the one who reaps and sows, you're all together in this. It was a beautiful moment. It was powerful. It connected to Jesus's deepest passion to seek and to say why he had come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting, overflowing life. Think about it. The undying life of God through Christ. Powerful. And I looked at that passage and I was going, wow, Lord, one of the things that is so obvious and clear to me is that Jesus was saying when he said to them, don't say tomorrow, don't say five years from now, don't say a decade from now, don't say maybe later. The time is now. There are people everywhere who need to be touched by my reality. This message, it stirred his heart and it should stir our heart too. May our hearts be moved by the things that move him, right? And that was something that was going on there. And I, I, you know, and I was thinking about it. Lord, help us, remind us not to forget that we have been called to lift up our eyes and to see people all around us in our own. Sometimes we're missing the opportunities even in our own, own families and at work and in our friendships. We forget that the time is, that the harvest is plenteous. It's there. You know, one of the things I had come across recently is some data points They've been doing a lot of evaluations of where people are. I have a real hunger and desire to see people come home to the Lord. One of the things that they showed up was something that was happening with a group of what they called 18 to 29-year-olds who've been raised in church. And I wanted to show you one of the things that caught my attention, and it will connect into what we're about to say here. But check this out. I don't have to put this up. This has to do with the idea of... of young people who have grown up in church and what they see happening. Now, the positive is that half of them are staying engaged in church life and a portion of that group is staying very committed to Jesus. But my heart bleeds for the front. The prodigals who have drifted away from home in a far country pursuing things that in the end will not satisfy, will ultimately crush their spirit and what they're calling the nomads, those who've drifted out of church community and haven't found their way back. The idea of the Lord calling us to pursue people who are prodigals and nomads is very important to who Cornerstone is. It goes into the very DNA of who we are. Like my heart yearns to see, I don't know why, but God put it in there, a special spot there for the prodigals to come home. Maybe it's because I think about how people wander into San Francisco, sometimes running away from God, and yet this is the very place where as people are praying for them who love them, where they may even come back home to him. How good is that? That has happened and continues to happen. 
The other thing you look in this passage here, though, and you notice that there's another thing that we're being told, that not only is, is the time now and the harvest real, but we all have a part to play in it. You look at that passage, and what Jesus is saying is this, some water, some plant, some sow. He's saying, look, we're all, you know what I love about it? He's saying, we're all working together. Some of us do different things to serve, to make this happen. Some of us prepare the way in our prayers. Some of us serve to prepare things so someone can be brought here and experience something joyful and life-giving and safe. I mean, to have a safe place to bring people. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what you're doing? We are making a safe place for people to hear the message of Jesus. And the best invitation they can ever have is from the people who they know and trust or who they believe in. A friend, someone who loves them. And hopefully, listen to me, why is it so important? Because there may be one time that you're able to bring someone. And our prayer is in that, if that one time comes, that we will, by the attentiveness to the quality or the attempt of what we're trying to do on behalf of the Lord, create an atmosphere for your friend, the one that you love, to experience as best as possible the goodness of God. Like, this is why we do what we do. But we do it together, and all of us play different parts. Some of us serve behind the scenes. Some of it is more public. Some of us are doing things that no one else will ever see. Some are in the children's wing. Some are welcoming people in the, in the front end of things, at the parking, the first invitation you get, right? Others of us, we're out there on the field. We're working hard. We're talking. We're thinking. We're praying. We're looking for conversations. We're praying for the right time. We're thinking about the people that we care about and how we can talk to them about the Lord at key moments. This is about growing into wholeness so that we can represent him as well. Even everything that we do sometimes, week in and week out, we forget why. It's to not just make us better people than we would have been without him. That's good, and I believe it will happen. But really at its core, it's so that we might be a light, a reflection of the light, and be able to share a little bit of his light in a way that changes people's lives forever, and in some cases, generations of people. We all work together. Some of us give of our time, resources, you give beautifully, you, you serve wonderfully, you, you, you live out your faith. I'm a, I mean, I'm surrounded by heroes. Sincere lovers of the Lord, people who really love God. I'm, I've been impressed again at the beginning of the year. I look around this church and I go, there are so many people who genuinely love the Lord. They're, re they're really trying to read and know God. They're reading their Bible. They're really sacrificing and giving and engaging community. I see it all over the place. We all have a part to play. Some sow, some reap, some water. The other thing I realized, and I, you, what, oh, look at the back end of that. What did Jesus say? Look at that 38. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. What that reminds us of a lot, of, even in our church, we're building off of someone else's sacrifice. Like even, even like where we are now as a church is a product of both the prayers and the sacrifice of others. We're part of stories of people who don't even live, they're not living on this side anymore. Just as someday we will leave, and what will we leave behind? My prayer and conviction and belief is that we will be able to leave as a community something for other generations to build off. Should the Lord return, but should he tarry, as the older language used to say, then what will he find? I pray that others will be able to build off of the work and the commitment and the love and the true things that we are doing for the Lord. You know, oh, and there's another piece there. Look at that other column. There's a second path. This will be the last portion of scripture I have us look at. Look at Mark 4. 
Here, see the motif. You, when you start seeing the references to harvest and sowing and reaping, they're all over the Gospels. It's all over the language of Jesus. I mean, we're talking about, you know what we are really? We're urban farmers, really, if you want to get down to it. We're part of the urban farmer movement. And we're sowing seed and scattering and watering. And we're watching life grow. And we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And you know what? Look at this Mark 4. This is a very important passage for me personally. And I'll tell you why in a moment. It says, he said, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a man who should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. And he does not know how it does it. But the earth produces by itself. First the blade. Then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. Or as the older version says, it's first the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. It was, it was about 30, a little over 30 years ago. I was, uh, I was 26. <laughs> I know. The world was younger then. Uh, I was sitting in an office at the mission, where Mission is right now. There's a, some of you have been to the balcony at Mission. There's actually a little room back there. That was the first office I ever had. I was the first. At that particular moment, there was nobody else on staff. And uh, my grandfather had died a lot the previous year. He was my mentor. I really hadn't planned on pastoring the church. It was a small church. Uh, that wasn't exactly the path I had planned for my life. I did feel a call, but... Didn't think it was going to work the way that it did. So at that time, uh, I remember because Caleb had been born, our first son, and my wife Cheryl, who some of you know, amazing woman, really is. We are blessed to have her. That's fact. It's a fact. Fact. She was pregnant at that time because I was sitting in, the, in a room by myself. It was September of 89, and I was sitting there. I, it could have been in the October. It was right in there. It was actually October. Now I'm positive. October of 1989. I was sitting in that room by myself, very sad. Like I mentioned, Cheryl was pregnant. You know who Cheryl was pregnant with? That girl you just saw sing before communion. That's right. That's, that was Chloe. And I was sitting in there because the church even though it had been small, since I had been leading it, it got even smaller. And <laughs> that was, and I thought, oh, who's going to listen to me? I'm 26 years old. And um, I barely, I don't even know what I don't know. I love God, but, and the finances, we were, you know, the gener you want to talk about building on, the, building on someone else's blessing? They had, with a handful of families, one of whom is still here, by the way. They gave all they had to form a church from a house. And by the time I stepped in the church, the building itself was paid for at mission. But we didn't have much else. And I was feeling bad because didn't have a lot of resource Felt like I was kind of failing, you know. And I was scared. And um, I got a letter. Well, it came, someone put it in the offering. And they put it in the offering. 
And so when I opened it up, uh, one of the things, and this is just a copy of it, but it is a, the literal, it is that, this is it. And when I opened up the letter, a check fell out of it. That got my attention right away because I was going, what is, <laughs> what is that? And remember where we, are, we were financially it, 30 years ago. It was a check for $1,000 from a person I had no, I never met. And that would be way, way more. And I'm not saying this about the money, but I'll tell you right now, that made a huge difference to me. Because he didn't just put that in there. This man who I never met, whose name is Oren Wright, wherever you are, Oren, wherever you are. Pastor, he wrote, this meant even more to me. Listen to it. I hope I get it right. Last time I couldn't read it right, I started bothering, started getting to me. But today, visiting your church for the first time, visiting the church for the first time, the Lord spoke to me to give, to give you guys this offering. The ministry is blessed of God. He is aware of and pleased with your faithfulness and sincerity of heart. And then he wrote, your every need is being is, your every need is already met. And he put a little asterisk. Because you are seeking his face. And then he wrote, in his service. I didn't know. Warren Wright. And next to that asterisk, I looked on the bottom of the page. And he quoted a verse. First the blade. Then the ear. Then the corn in the ear. Remember those before you who have inherited the promises through faith and patience. And then he said this at the bottom. The Lord is touching you with encouragement today. How good is that? How good is that? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And it meant a lot to me. And you know what? It meant a lot to me, and I never forgot it. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn. In the ear, he, ear. he was talking about how he was quoting Mark. He was quoting this right from Mark 4, and he was saying, this is what God is going to do in this church. 30, I mean, think about it. First the ear. Think about it. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn. In the ear. That's how I remembered it. And as I was preparing for this service, thinking, 2020, God, we're going to talk about sowing and reaping and watering and harvest and all these things. And then all of a sudden, like, my mind hit back to this. It was like, came back to me. Do you remember? First, first the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. It's what you guys were born for. You were born, it's in your very DNA as a people. To seek after the lost, to go after the harvest to not play it safe, to contend, to be a place in San Francisco where people can be brought and encouraged and come home, the prodigals and the nomads. Some of them, listen to me, some of them, they may not be your sons and daughters. They are be other people's sons and daughters. But maybe by praying and living for them, some of us will find that someone else will be touching our sons and daughters. We do not know how it works in the kingdom. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. Let us not underestimate what God can do. He's calling our church to be adventurous, to stay faithful, 
to contend to be part of his expression of love with a lot of other wonderful churches in this city. But we have a place and a role. And we didn't just do this to do it. We did it because we are honoring our calling as a people to pursue the harvest of God in every conceivable way. And we are going to go give it our best shot. You know what's interesting? As I was walking here, I thought, wow, Lord, that was like 30 years ago. And I thought, I was walking literally along that street behind me. And I thought, I don't know how many years I have left. But I will do it to the best of my ability to honor you with a group of people who love you. And we'll walk as long and as hard as we can. And we will run well by grace. And we will fulfill the work that the Lord gave us to do as a church. And we will do it with all our strength and might, imperfectly, but with sincerity, committed to a purpose that is bigger than ourselves because God has called us to reach people. And this year, we will set our decade in motion by faith, pursuing the harvest in every conceivable creative way that we can. We will be sowers who sow the seed. That is why we put this in there. And if I had more time, I'd talk about each one of these. But the bottom line is this. Sow has a verse. Water has a verse. And reap has a verse. And that last one in Psalms is beautiful because it says, those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. And if you've ever seen someone you love come to Christ, you know songs of joy. And if you've ever had a prodigal come home, you know songs of joy. You know it. Carrying, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So, it's joyful. I mean, ours is a life of joy. Okay, I, I <laughs> so... You can see all the things we're going to do, aiming to do, trying to do. We've got these. We've got a lot more things that's in our heart. You know how much we put into our art. Our, our art. Those are bringer events. Those are invitational places. That's where we were like the sower who goes out, scatter. The investment you made, by the way, we've, I'll talk about it in a moment. I better, I better hustle here because... I, I think I'm supposed to. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I hear you. I hear you. Let me show you. Let me show you a couple of things that have happened, though. In addition to all the other initiatives we have, which are designed to grow people, there, some of them are watering, some of them are evangelistic. Uh, you know, some of us are community building, whatever it is, bringing people to sow, water, reap. We're going to have two more. We're going to have some people joining our team. I think it's helpful to know this so that you're aware got a couple of families coming in on staff with us and uh, one of them is Mike and Connie if I can put the picture of Mike and Connie Lenhart Mike and Ken you'll see him around uh, he's here he's going to be primarily stationed here at Reardon he helps oversees the finances of our church he's been doing this for for actually a few decades he's a proven a proven man of God who's going to bring uh, be a tremendous presence he's stepping up in this uh, kind of second stage of life to help be part of what we're doing here at Reardon. And we have another family, and, and this is the An and his wife, Ichan, and their beautiful little daughters. And some of you may have already been um, introduced to An because 
he's always saying hi to people in ways that are almost impossible not to notice. On is coming on as our community catalyst. He's primarily gonna be working out of mission, but he'll be everywhere. Part of his job was to help us pursue uh, what was in our heart when we came to Reardon, which was to have some type of a presence assisting uh, ministries that are working in the city and San Francisco State and City College. We felt like God wouldn't have planted us here at Reardon if we weren't supposed to do something to reach forward towards those who are coming into our city and going to school here. We want to be part of that. That's part of our vision. That's part of what we feel we're being called to do. But he's really just, just being brought on to help us establish community. And I should mention, it's at the end for us, this is about people. By the way, because we're going to close out in a moment, I've got a song. I asked them to close with this song before we do the offering intentionally. It's called Tears of the Saints. But before I even mention that, I do want to update everybody on what happened. Because you are an amazing church, and I'm going to tell you why. We made a decision to pursue this planting of this campus and are finished strong. And I want to show you how much progress we have made. It's pretty amazing. Can we put that up? Look at that. That is amazing. I mean, you did this under the Lord, under the Lord. And, and for us, it was always about what was represented. It wasn't the seat, it was, who, it was the person. It was those people that we, whose name we put on that board on the way out. That's what it meant to us. And you know what? Again, there's 29 left. I'm confident already that God's gonna put it on, on our hearts to finish that up. That's not even an issue to me at this point. I've already witnessed the miracle. I believe it's just already been a huge blessing. We're just marching forward with what God's called us to do. But remember, as we make our way into this last song and then we break out and just have as much fun, linger as much as you want, do whatever is in your heart, this is a good place. But here's the thing, here's the saints. Somebody asked me, well, it was my daughter. We were talking before, after, but well, it was before service. She said, Dad, why did you, uh, why'd you pick that song to end with? And I got what she meant because she was saying, you know, I know what she meant because it's kind of an intense song. It's not like the joyful, celebrative, let's go out and get a picture with Sourdough Sam song, right? <laughs> The re and the reason is because I want to connect back. I want our final minutes together to connect back to our why. The song is called Tears of the Saints. And in it, it talks about calling the prodigals to come home and praying for those who are broken. You'll hear it. Your heart will, if you hear it with your heart, it'll move you. Honestly, last service, it made me cry. Made me cry. What did Jesus say? Do not say four months, and then comes the harvest. I say to you, lift up your eyes, for the fields are white unto harvest. In that song, you're going to hear this phrase, it is an emergency. we got to pray. Pray. And listen, maybe as we hear this and we share this, this is our prayer sung. Maybe God puts it in your heart while that's happening of a name that's supposed to go on that board by faith, maybe more than one, by faith. Tears of the saints, they matter a lot. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to have a very quick time of giving and then we'll finish this moment together. All right, so Lord, I thank you for what we've shared. I thank you for what it means. I thank you for being able to serve together. 
to do community and life and share in the pursuit of harvest together. We were called from the very beginning, from the very beginning, we were called to be sowers of seed in this city, the sowers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then create an environment to water it and see it come to life and to reap a harvest unto you, Lord, because you love people. You gave everything for it. Help us to do the same. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right.